John chapter 14 is our focus passage for today. We're going to consider the first 14 verses there. Uh, for some of us here in Greater Manchester, we've we've had uh, the frustration and disappointment of some restrictions being imposed again that had been released. But I'm hoping that as we read these four, first 14 verses of John 1 today, we'll be reminded of the liberating joy that comes from knowing uh, two things. One, that's the reality, the true reality, that God exists in the spiritual dimension that we can participate in and experience by fully trusting in Jesus. That we can be reminded from what we read today that there's something bigger going on than what we might be aware of in our own little uh, environment just now. And that Jesus, he's the revealer of that. He's the gateway into the reality of it for us. And he's also the model as to how we can enjoy that in life every day in relationship with God the Father. And this life with God the Father is liberating. It takes us beyond the confines of our own personal circumstances. It's not escapism. It's just being aware of the bigger picture. And the second thing that I'd like us to see is that the reality that God the Father, who is at work in the spiritual realm, that we can enter into through faith in Christ, he chooses to work here in this physical world that we're part of by partnering with us. That those who trust in God by trusting in Jesus become the means or the channels by which the Father's work happens in our world. So those are two things that we'll look at today. So let's take our reading from John chapter 14 and the first 14 verses. We'll read those together now. Jesus speaking to his followers in the upper room. Notice one thing. His language shifts to emphasize a relationship between himself and his father that he wants for us disciples as well. He starts speaking about the father. Verse one, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, 
It is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. The words of Jesus in John 14, 15, 16, and 17 are so dense that we're really just scratching the surface of them as we work through them today. But Jesus says to this group of 11 that are with him round the table, don't let your hearts be troubled. He knows that uncertainty gets right to our core and that's where trouble starts and something from within can easily destabilize us. Jesus was speaking to those 11 who've heard him speak already about betrayal, about denial, about the fact that he said he was going away to somewhere where they couldn't go and follow that he was only going to be around with them for a little while longer. And he had been speaking about death. So as the circumstances seem to restrict the 11 even more, their hearts are being troubled. The Messiah, as they understand the Messiah to operate, is not operating in the way they expected. So what's Jesus's antidote? for this troubling situation for the disciples and what can we learn from it? He says, believe in God, believe also in me. And that's the proper sense of the Greek that's there. It's an imperative, it's a command to believe and to trust in God and to trust in him. Now, that's a, that's a claim to deity. Here was Jesus claiming to be equal with God who could bring certain. Uh, certainty into circumstances that were so troubling. It's a command to believe. It's a command to trust. And throughout the scriptures, that's the way God's salvation and God's life is presented to people. It's an invitational command in a sense. Jesus, Mark tells us, came out saying, repent and believe for the kingdom of God has come near. It's something that we're to respond to as a as a command if we're going to enter into the experiences that God has for us through faith in Jesus then we have to respond positively to the commands to come now how does believing in God and believing in Jesus deal with that trouble that gets right into the core of who we are right into our hearts it's because we come to see that in Jesus, that God the Father is at work in this world and beyond this world at a level that we can't fully perceive or understand. God is working out his purposes that transcend our understanding and are so much bigger than the immediate circumstances that we find ourselves in. Think of the Bible example of Joseph and you get to the end of Genesis and Joseph came to realize that the years that had 
gone before when things had been so difficult. God had been working to bring about something greater than he could have imagined in his private circumstances. So when Jesus says to believe in God and to believe in him, it's to believe that God is working at a level that we can't see. And to know that God has it all in control and that that brings certainty into our lives. Then Jesus switches the language to shift from God to my father. And that then characterizes so much of what he says from here on in. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know, back in John chapter 2 and verse 16, Jesus referred to the temple and described it as my father's house, the place where the Jews um, realized that God had made his presence come to be among his people. But Jesus here is not speaking about extending the physical temple in Jerusalem into some massive dormitory uh, for people who would believe in him. He's he's shifting it up a level. He's taking us beyond our physical understandings to that which is spiritual, to the eternal dwelling place of God. Beyond our physical senses, something that we come to accept as reality. Because Jesus, who has come from there, reveals it to us. It's every bit as real a reality as what we're experiencing right now in all of its physicality. You know, Paul recounts an experience in 2 Corinthians 12 of being caught up to the third heaven, which was um, the Jews' way of speaking of where God um, lived. And he wasn't sure whether his experience was in the body or out of the body, as he said. And we have examples throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament of people who had encounters with God in his throne room. And the language is always a little bit ambiguous. Was this a physical experience or was this an altered state of mind, an awareness of a spiritual realm that God in his grace brought the people into? That's what Jesus has come to bring us into, the reality of that which exists where God is and to help us to see it. And Jesus said, my father's house has many rooms. You know, the Greek word there, meno, means places to dwell in. It's a place where you come and abide. You know, the King James Version had mansions, or many mansions. Eject that idea from your thinking. It's not, not about a large structure that's made depending on how well we, we perform in this life. It's a place where we can come and be with God. That's the sense of it. It's not a room that's in a, in a distant place. The idea is that God is welcoming us into the place where he is, that he might enjoy us and we might enjoy him. Now, that same Greek word is used in John 14 and 10. When Jesus said, the father living in me. And also further down, we didn't read it in John 14 and 17. Jesus then speaks of the spirit who lives in you. And he was speaking of the spirit coming to be in believers. So that's the sense of this word. It's, a, it's coming to live in God and to enjoy him as the father lived in Jesus and as the spirit comes to live in us. That's the sense of this 
promise that Jesus makes that he's going to prepare that place, a place where we can abide with the Father. He's the one who makes it ready for us. And he's the only one who can make it ready for us because he's come from there and he was going back there. None of us can, can make that journey to prepare that place for ourselves. It requires Jesus, the eternal son, to come and reveal the Father and reveal the reality of that place that we can inhabit with God. You know the way to the place I am going, Jesus said to the group of 11. There's one way to enjoy this abiding place. And throughout the Old Testament, the, the disciples would have come to know so well in their interactions with Jesus. Repeatedly, you have this phrase, the way. The way the righteous would live. Those who honor God, choosing that which is true and good and right according to God's standards as they trust in him, in God to do what is right. You know, we can't figure out this way for ourselves. And we ignore the Bible at our peril. Thomas said to him in all of his honesty, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? You know, it's very difficult to know the way to somewhere if you don't know the destination. And we're thankful that Thomas asked the question. Because knowing the truth about where God wants us to be transforms how we live here and now. That sets the direction for the way to live. And how does Jesus answer that question? Look at verse six, one of the best known verses in all of scriptures. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the only one who has ever lived that perfect righteous way of God in all of its perfection. And he is the only way by which humans who have failed to do that can actually come into this abiding relationship with God. A relationship with God, the Father, begins with a relationship with Jesus. And that's a faith relationship. It's trusting him for who he claims to be. And that faith in him then gives us this abiding place with the Father. Paul picks it up in Ephesians and he speaks to Jews and Gentiles. And in Ephesians 2 verse 18, he says it's through him, through Jesus. We both have access to the Father by one spirit. It's through Jesus that we come in to this abiding place with God the Father. That's why he goes on to say, no one comes to the Father except through me. He is the exclusive way to have a relationship with God the Father, because as we'll see, he is God the Father in human flesh, representing him, God the Son, here as the Son of Man. Through his death and his resurrection, he's able to bring us to the Father, because through his death, our sins can be forgiven that which keeps us from a relationship with God and his resurrection guarantees that there is life beyond that God invites us to enjoy now. If you really know me, you will know my father as well, is what Jesus goes on to say. So here's Jesus driving the point home. It's all about knowing him. In seeing him and knowing him, we see the reality of life in God and the reality of life with God, embodied in that person, Jesus. 
Now, the Greek word know there means to see things for what they really are. It's not just an opinion about something. It's objective reality. But when Jesus was speaking to uh, the 11, I'm sure they would have had in mind the Hebrew uh, sense of the word know, which is to know something by experience. Both of those things are, are needed. One is to, to see the facts about Jesus and to believe them. And secondly, then to experience relationship with him because he lives. The two things are necessary for us to know him. And in knowing Jesus, we come into the knowing relationship with God the Father. And that's why Jesus went on in the second part of verse 7 to say, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. So as Jesus is stepping forward into his suffering and his death and his resurrection, the disciples are going to see who God the Father really is. The heart of God revealed in Jesus the Son. And then Philip speaks up. Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. You know, Philip is struggling with this whole concept, just as we might be struggling with this concept. He asks to see God the Father. And that was a big thing for a Jew to ask for, because only a few people in the history of the writings of the Old Testament had ever seen God in any way whatsoever. Moses asked for it, and he saw the backward parts of God. Isaiah and Ezekiel and some other prophets, they saw something of God. Here was Philip being bold, show us the Father. And that's bound to be enough. And Jesus says, no, it's not enough. Not just to see him, but to experience him and to live in him. So Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Here's the unseen God made visible in the humanity of Jesus. Here's Jesus fulfilling Genesis 1.26, humanity being made in the image of God. To rule and to reign with God, we forfeited that by our rebellion. But here was Jesus in all of his perfection, living out the image of God in partnership with him. And that's why people wanted to kill Jesus, because he was claiming as well to be God. You know, we can't step across into this realm that Jesus came to bring us into and what God longs for us to step into it takes god to step into our space to bring heaven to us and also heaven to the earth that's why john said at the beginning of his of his book john 1 18 no one has ever seen god but the one and only son who is himself god and is in closest relationship with the father he has made him known it's jesus who makes god known to us and that's why paul in Philippians 3 says, I consider everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want to know Christ. Here was Paul wanting to know Jesus because in knowing Jesus, he was abiding in God. The second aspect that we want us to touch on, and this is a quick one now, is God working through believers in the world today. So Jesus has come to bring us into the reality of this spiritual life with God. Something that's going to be concluded in a future day in the new heavens and the new earth when it says that we will look on the face of God without any hindrance. But God 
is not wanting us just to exist now and and hope that that's going to come sometime soon and we'll just sort of carry on through this and grin and bear it it's not that at all jesus went on to teach that he himself embodies the life that we should live in light of that reality verse 10 don't you believe that i am in the father and the father is in me the words that i say to you i do not speak of my own authority here listen to this rather it is the father living in me who is doing his work here was Jesus saying God the Father was in him and through him was evidencing himself to the world. That sets the tone for what Jesus goes on to speak about, the Holy Spirit coming to be in believers so that God's work will continue. And we'll get into that next week. So the Spirit of Jesus comes to take up residence, to abide with us. God invites us to abide in life with him. The Father was seen to be abiding in the life of Jesus. And then the life of Jesus, by his Spirit, comes to abide in us so that God continues his work. As he did through Jesus, he can do through believers. The author N.T. Wright says that God is the working through humans in the world, God. Verse 11. Jesus says, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe me, believe on the evidence of the works themselves. There are three evidences that God is at work in someone, exemplified perfectly in Jesus. The Father in me and I in the Father. That shaped Jesus' character. We could say it shaped his walk. Everything about him was all about God. It shaped his words. The things that he would speak were shaped by everything that God was about. And the works that Jesus did showed that God was at work through him. Here was heaven having come to earth. Dallas Willard says this, and just a little caution for us, that sometimes we can be busy trying to get people into heaven and forget about getting heaven into people. You know, Jesus here embodies the life of those who will serve God. Verse 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Here we can see in these verses that Jesus shows that his walk, his words and his works are the example of a human life lived abiding in God and God abiding in him. And the same thing is offered to us. The greater things that he's speaking about here are not that we would do things that try and demonstrate that we in somehow are God. We are not. That's Jesus' preserve. He alone is God. But the greater things is the multiplied work of God transforming the lives of believers to see God the Father in all that God the Father conjures up in our mind and all of his loving, disciplining, guiding character will do for us when we give ourselves to him. Our walk, our words and our works can be like those of Jesus because as we're invited to come and abide in the life of God, God then comes to abide in our lives. 
And then Jesus says, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. You know, this relationship with God is through Jesus. Notice that Jesus says here, ask me for anything in my name. So the question to finish with is, how is your relationship with Jesus? Because that relationship with Jesus brings us into the liberation of this life that reminds us that God is working out a greater purpose than we can imagine. And it shapes our walk and our words and our works here and now in this life together. May God bless us through his word.